It's that time of day where the planes are flying around and the internet's going down. And all has um, been quiet on my end so far, Zach. So uh, I don't know. They'll either have they either have the day off or uh, they're getting ready to fire up. We'll see. Hmm. Maybe they're deployed. Who knows? I don't know. Let's hope not that one. <clears throat> How's it going? What's what's up? Oh man, everything's up. It's uh, this is a busy, busy time of the year. I don't know if you notice, or uh, I don't know. It seems like we're in October now, and this is like the big push: get everything done before Thanksgiving, and then everything gets uh, real sleepy from Thanksgiving to New Year's. So, a lot of stuff going on. Lots of different events. Lots. Of, I mean, there's just it's just madness right now. What was the last app that you downloaded to your phone? Hmm. Like from a tool perspective or something like to help. Well, you, you know, the th interesting thing that you, uh, really interesting question that you bring that up. We just um, we just updated our uh, we upgraded our um, washer and dryer and our dishwasher. So now I get push notifications to the phone whenever uh, whenever those things are complete. And uh, but it's smart though in the sense of really really smart on them because they they'll send push notifications for uh, like maintenance and things that you should be doing but then also uh you know they can upsell you along the way as well so yeah how about you For, i don't know probably jersey mics to get the rewards points <laughs> i don't i don't know uh the one time a year i download uber because i go out like i don't go out like one time a year i'll go out and i need to get a ride home so i'll download uber that one time a year um that's about it. That's probably one of those two. <laughs> I say that because, you know, apps have obviously evolved over the last, I don't know when the first app came out. Was it with the first Check. iPhone? Check. You, you're there. Um, you're good. Did, did the first, I would assume the first app came out when 07-ish when the iPhone came out. So it's been 16 years. Because I remember like when I was doing the agency stuff, like there was still very few apps in the store, but it was still very... Oh yeah, it was crowded, and so now just at the, and I asked you that question like, what was that last app that you you downloaded? Because I don't even think to do that anymore. And so like I'm interested in this conversation today because the tool that uh, Justin has has developed and is continuing to to build is in that world, I believe. And so it's just from a consumer perspective, from a business perspective, it's interesting how you make that decision yada, 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 things like that. I mean, who knew Tim, Tim has a, you know, an Instagram account for his washing machine. Now, you know, you're going to see the clothes in there, clean it. I mean, it's just lots changed, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Welcome to the show, Justin. Thanks for joining us. Yeah. Thanks for having does me. Your, does your dishwasher uh, have an app, Justin? <laughs> it does not. All right. No, I, I think, think everything's like connected though. Right. I guess that is smart that, you know, because I remember Ian Taylor, when he bought his house in like 12 or 13, his fridge had um, all that stuff. And it'd be like, oh, you got to you got to buy this and this. And it was creating this list for him, which I guess that makes sense. But that was 10 years ago. I mean, it's a lot of evolution. Yeah, I I, I, re I really am drawn to IoT and I like the, the, the potential there. I think as far as my fridge ordering the essentials for me automatically, I don't know how I feel about it, but... Uh, well, I mean, the, the crazy thing, like with the uh, with the washing machine app, uh, with the app within the washing machine, you can download different cycles. So if you uh, if you have a special bedding or special no clothes, way. you know, so it will it will change the, the uh, cycles. And I, you know, so from that standpoint, it's pretty, pretty fascinating how far things uh, have advanced. So are you tell me you can't press a button. You're just pressing it on your phone. Oh. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, different uh, agitation times and uh, different speeds that it, it rinses or whatever. I mean, it's just from that standpoint, it's, you know, that's pretty innovative, I think. Could be some, you know, someone still has to take the clothes <laughs> and physically put it in the washer. That is true. Someone still has to hit start. So have you seen these things? Like where, like if you have a second floor house and like they got these chutes that they just throw the clothes. Toward, we had one like when I grew sucks. up as a kid, a laundry chute. But the ones that actually suck them in from like from far away. So like if it gets close, it'll <laughs> it'll pull it. It's pretty <laughs> wild. Like man, like they got some they got some wild stuff. Yeah, the things that people are coming up with. 
it's very dangerous. Yes. Yeah. No, no wonder most businesses fail, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, pet rock. <laughs> well, yeah. The, the whole product market fit thing, uh, it gets a little wishy-washy at times, but yeah. Tell us about Contractor Plus. Yeah. So uh, Contractor Plus is kind of the the culmination of my experience growing up with a mother who's a general contractor, uh, spending my summers doing a lot of rehab work, uh, mostly Victorian remodels and, and, um, some, some whole, whole, uh, new builds and, and a lot of kitchen remodels and got a really good, strong sense for the needs of builders and contractors, uh, just seeing, you know, what, how things were kind of capped in that industry. And, uh, in college, I was working on my graduate degree and joined a real estate company. And interesting enough, we were subbing all the maintenance out. So managing over five years. So we grew about 800 doors under management and uh, we were subbing everything out. $4 million a year just going bye-bye. So we started a handyman company. And it's very, it's, it's kind of interesting because I noticed, you know, all my experience was limited to building and remodeling and and then when we started the handyman company, it's a it's a totally different line of work. You know, we do similar things and, and, and many times we do full remodels as well. Uh, but the needs of a handyman company are very different than the needs of a builder. But what I learned was builders and GCs uh, and service businesses are constantly collaborating together on larger jobs. Um, and if you take a step back and look at the way contractors actually work uh, at the network level, you'll see that uh, it's very common for uh, GC to bid on a big project and sub everything out to, to different individuals or different entities. Um, and then I you know, started looking for solutions that could really facilitate and enable our uh, workflow and our scale. And I found that there was nothing on the market that really did that. Uh, so I, I became... I guess I got inspired to to try to create that solution. And that's what Contractor Plus has turned into uh, today. It uh, We started as a mobile app and uh, we did that uh, taking like a freemium approach uh, because small to medium-sized businesses and artisans are very price sensitive. Um, uh, existing solutions on the market like Joist um, are very limited. Uh, like they limit you can do estimates, you can do invoices, you can get paid and that's it. And uh, no scheduling, nothing that, you know, that contractors really need to get organized and increase their volume and, and increase their collaboration and actually streamline their business so they can buy back their work-life balance, make more money with less effort. And I think that's the goal of any business, right? Make more money with less effort. Uh, so I, I became really determined to create the solution that could help contractors do that. And that is our inspiration uh, here at contractor plus. Yeah, it's, it's fascinating in the sense that like right now, I don't think our, my neighbor's listening, nor will they, but they're in the process right now. They're redoing their, right. <laughs> they're all, it, you know, and they realize they're, they're in too deep right now. They're, they're redoing the laundry room. They're redoing their kitchen and uh, they're redoing their master bathroom all at the same time. And we live at the end of a cul-de-sac and dude, it's just madness right now with the, the to your point, the number of vehicles because everything is subbed out to so many different people. And it's just, it's just wild to see it. I mean, multiple electricians from different companies all they're doing, it's just, so I can, I can see that uh, just based on how much subcontract goes out that, smooth out this process and connect everybody. Is that not smart though, to do that? Like, I know you said you lost 4 million bucks, but like having specific experts in certain things doing those, those jobs on the surface level, it seems like that's a smart thing, but when you dig deeper, is it, is it not typically, or how do you look so, at it now? So it's all about this, the cash flow, And really it's like, if you look at what you're spending, if your cost is greater, to sub something out than it would be to do it internally, then your margins are lower by subbing it out. So there becomes a point in any business where you have to decide what makes the most sense economically for scale. Uh, does it make sense? And there were still things, don't get me wrong, even when we had 45 employees, we were still subbing some things out. Uh, we bought one carpet cleaning van, for example. And, you know, when you're running a property management company, there's a lot of carpet cleanings. Um, 
but we could only do so many carpet cleanings a day. And with 800 doors, we had more many days, not always, but we many days we'd have many more carpet cleanings than what we could handle internally. So we had to still sub some things out. But when you sub things out, you are always going to accept lower margins. Now, as a contractor, that makes sense. You know, I, I have a friend that's that's doing 10 or so builds a year. He would love to build 20 homes a year. But I hear from him all the time. His biggest complaint and frustration is I can't find the right talent. I can't find the right people. I find a good person and they leave. And, uh, you know, I, I most of these guys are hooked on methamphetamine or doing, you mm. know, I just can't find good workers. And and uh, when you like spend some time in the day in the life of the contractor, you get to experience that pain. It, it seems like a very real problem on the ground level. Um, so. It's, uh, yes, I, I think, uh, is it good? It can be, but it, it really just comes down to the cost benefit. What makes the most sense? Uh, does it make more sense for us to bring it in-house? Are we going to make more money? Are our margins going to increase by bringing it in-house? Or does it make more sense for us to sub it out? And that's a question that really, the only way to answer that is to do the math and figure out what's going to be best for your business. Where did you start? I mean, this is a big there's a lot to it. It's pretty complex. So how did you, what, where did you decide this is the first, first step number one, we're doing this? What, what was that? So step number one, inside of Read Handyman, I created a web form. It was all web-based um, that essentially eliminated two pro, a, a duplicate process. Um, what we would, you know, we were selling five to 10 units a week, uh, at our peak. And each one of those, every time we would close on a foreclosure or, or a, a short sale, we'd have to send a, send our foreman out do an estimate. Um, he would write it on paper and <laughs> staple it together on the left column. He'd put the n amount of time it would take. Then he'd write what he's going to do. And then he'd put the, the estimated cost of the materials that would be required to complete each task. So then he'd bring these back three, four a day, sometimes bring them into the office and uh, my bookkeeper, or I, many times I was there until two o'clock in the morning typing these up in QuickBooks, would have to take this paper and type it all up in QuickBooks, digitize it, take the, the, the photos that he would take on a little cheap digital camera, uh, pull the SD card out, pop it in, zip, archive the photos, attach it to an email with the PDF export invoice from QuickBooks, and then fire it off to the investor or the property owner. The property owner would then respond saying approved or we never got any of them decline. I don't think we ever lost a bid. So that's one benefit of like building your own own internal maintenance division is the these these real estate investors as a property management company, real estate investors are all remote. They have portfolios of 25, 50, 100. Some even have 150, 200 properties. They just want a turnkey solution. They don't want to have to deal with it. So if it makes sense, they're going to approve it. Even if you're charging a hundred bucks an hour. Um, and I think we were billing $75 an hour, uh, plus marking up our materials by 30%. Uh, so it started as a really out of necessity inside of that company. I typing all this up was taking an extra four or five hours a day. And it didn't make sense. I said, well, how can I just consolidate this into one streamlined experience? Give, give our guys a tablet, uh, with a, with a internet connection. I don't know. Was it was a three G at the time. This is 10 years ago. So I, 4G connection, whatever. And um, just let him punch it in on a form instead of writing it on paper. And then we can just proof it and send it off in five, 10 minutes. So that's how it started. And But that's just one process that saved us, you know, a few hours a week. Um, yeah. And then at some point you realized it can be more or... Well, I started noticing like all these other operational inefficiencies, like dispatching work orders and figuring out who's closest to a certain job site and um, like just overall keeping everyone on the same page at all times and uh, making sure we're bidding consistently, being able to enable other people on the team to be able to bid instead of just one person. And the only way you can do that is if you standardize your bid process, if you leverage cost data that is, that is the same throughout the entire organization. So whether that's through a cost book that you define internally or whether you're using some external like a, the Craftsman cost books, the National Estimator or uh, here at Contractor Plus, we just integrated one build. Uh, the one build integration is just it's nuts. It's crazy because it's it, this is localized cost data on labor, materials, assemblies, um, you name it, down to the zip code or county. So throughout the entire United States. It, when as I'm listening to this, I like I hear 
like a lot of blue collar service providers and honestly a lot of white uh, white collar service providers are really good at whatever that thing is that they do but then they suck at the business side of it it seems like you are good at the at the actual thing and recognizing the business side of it which is which is quite unique you know i'm a lawyer i know how to do lawyer things you know i'm the lawns i know how to do that but i don't know how to do any of the other process of obtaining new business and i think oftentimes that's why people look at those industries as not as polished right and i think having that polished aspect of that and understanding that can, can be very critical in that world is that just something that you you figured out on your own like how, how did how are you good at those two things when most people in your world are not? <laughs> I think we all have strengths and weaknesses, you know, like I, I, I'm, I suck at a lot of things and I'm really terrible at certain things. And that's, you know, where having the right team comes in place. Um, it definitely would not be possible without the right people. And, uh, but I, I think to answer your question, it kind of, I don't know why, why I am the way I am. What I do know is I have always, you know, growing up now, I'm a little bit more extroverted, but I've always, I grew up kind of introverted, kind of in my own little world. And uh, I always had just this internal, just the way I work, the way I'm wired is just to figure out a better way. And it's that way with everything I do. Um, I, I look at a process, I look at something and I say, ah, this could be better. And then I, I, I just can't let it go until I figure it out. So uh, starting with, uh, when I was 13 years old, 1998, I believe 1999, uh, the website's still on, uh, the Wayback machine, archive.org, uh, Verta, V E R T A.net. I started a, I got the premonition to start selling, um, dial up internet service. Of course, I didn't have the, the means to raise capital and I didn't know what I was doing. Uh, I think my parents took a HELOC out on their house and, uh, got, I think it was like 75 K. I mean, they believed in me as a 13 year old. So that says something, I guess. Um, but I had to uh, drop out of school. I went to, I didn't drop out. I went to homeschooling um, just so that I could answer the phone at two and three o'clock in the morning, um, turn my bedroom into an office. And we, we grew to a couple hundred paying customers. Um, and now what I did, so I didn't own the dial up internet service the network, the nodes, I didn't, the infrastructure, I didn't own any of that. What I did was I called this guy in Logan, Ohio, and I, and I talked to him and I said, Hey, listen, I would really like to figure out how I can st start my own ISP. And he laughed at me. <laughs> so, you know, clearly I'm 30. I didn't know what the heck I was doing. Um, but he said, you know, how old are you? And I told him, and he said, are your parents on board with this? Like they know what you're doing. And I said, yeah, absolutely. And he said, I'll tell you what, man, I, I don't know how you're going to do it, but if you can find, if you can figure out a way to create your own auto dialer, like your own account provisioning um, CD-ROM at the time, um, I will just let you resell our service through your own um, branding, through your own name. So I essentially became a reseller of dial-up internet service. I reached out to my friend Brandon Schlichter, and I, I forget the, the kid's name. I think it was I think his name was Corey. Um, he connected me with some guy. I think it was a, he was also a teenager, um, New York, I think. I don't know where, where exactly he's from. And for a few hundred bucks, uh, we worked on this little uh, app that we, that would basically connect to a pool of, of accounts that we had and managed um, temporarily, just long enough to configure their internet service locally in the internet properties. Uh, I don't know if you remember, but back in the day, we would actually configure the internet connection through internet properties in the browser. Um, it would open up the, the, the config for uh, internet settings. And then it would drop the connection and connect to their own once it had provisioned their account. So we created that and we burned, we bought a bunch of those towers that would replicate a bunch of CD-ROMs and uh, just cranked them out like crazy, put them in hardwares, laundromats, uh, grocery stores, anywhere and everywhere that would allow a 13-year-old kid to promote his business for free on their counter. Um, and most people didn't tell me no. They were pretty, pretty happy to help. <laughs> Gosh, that, those were the days. I the dial-up modem days. Get the busy signal, disconnect, try a different I'll number. Make a phone call. <laughs> <laughs> Get off the phone. <laughs> uh, the CD yeah. thing is interesting. I mean, obviously that worked for AOL, right? That's it did. It did. Right. Was it CDs? Was it flat? Yeah. Oh know. yeah. I can't even flat. imagine. They probably filled a landfill of their own just with all the CD-ROMs that they mailed out to people. 
How crazy. did that work? Were you getting like 40 hours of free internet and that was like the deal? And then you pay a month? Is that it's like yep. 40 hours I don't of remember free the internet. exact sign up process for AOL? Uh, I know right when it came out, we had it. Um, what was that like 91? Um, was that early? Oh, wow. Yeah, 91, 92. I think it was 91. Uh, so, but I think it was you entered your, they did give you a free period. You enter your credit card information in, much like the the, the free trial offers we see in SaaS today. Um, and then after that, after that period is up, they start billing you. I just remember the one time I um, signed up for the CD account. And um, my mom was not happy about getting that charge every month for some damn What was it called? Columbia House. I guess. Oh, I wow. That's, yeah. are they still around? I don't even nah. know. But that was almost like SAS before SAS kind of, you know, like, was. that was like yeah. the OG. Uh, yeah. Try to cancel that. How did, how did phones work back then? How did you buy a, how would you buy an airplane ticket in 1980? Well, you, that, you had a travel agent. Phone. Okay, so you called them. They had access to the thing, and then you. Okay, yeah. interesting. I mean, you so think the about internet even is what changed? Even driving, you know, you have to call up AAA, and you would get the trip ticks, and they you know, they would spiral bind them, and then they would mail them back to you. You have to go and pick oh, them up, wow. and you had yeah, that, Well, that's what it, that's what I'm saying. It's just crazy. It's hard so, to believe this like, is in the last forty years. Yeah, dude. When I moved here in 07, Dudes, we'll say it plural. Oh, seven. Um, I used to work in TV and I literally what I used to tell people when you work in TV is you you just drive for a living going from, uh, you know, whatever different crime scenes or different story uh, locations. You're literally just driving all day. You're a couple thousand miles a month. It seems like. Well, I didn't really understand this area. And like when we started working, it was we had the books, the map books, and we'd have to be like, OK, you got to go here. So you have to open it up. Okay, it's on G12. Okay, that's somewhere in here. Then you got to make the path to do it. I remember it was like for Christmas one year, I got like a Garmin or a Tom Tom, and I was like the only person at the station that had this. And I was like, it was just to make my life easier. And like, can you just imagine? Like, that was that was only 15 years ago, 16 years ago. Like, that's pretty crazy that like that's how you used to have to drive. And it was funny because a couple years ago, I thought about going to a dumb phone where like, I guess like an old school flip phone. And someone's like, you, you have a terrible camera. You'll have to text in three things. You know, you have press, you know, A, 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 B, you know, whatever. <laughs> and then you won't have access to, to directions. And I was like, all right, well, I'm not going to do that. But man, things have come a long way. Like it's, yeah. it's crazy. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. A couple of years ago, you were thinking about going to a dumb phone. Yeah. Tell me about this. <laughs> well i basically have done my phone down now anyway uh i don't like to get notifications i don't i don't want to be one of those people that's just constantly on their phone scrolling i can't stand going to a restaurant and seeing someone on their phone the whole time um it's like everywhere you look around everyone's just it's going to like be here go to, go, to a, go to a concert go to go to a wrestling event go we don't to, use lighters uh, anymore we use phones that's right <laughs> yeah like i don't mind I, I I find nothing the matter with like taking a picture here or there just to didn't didn't you have seat. a self imposed uh, rule on yourself you only could you only wanted like a certain number of apps on your phone was that you no but I don't have a lot of but, apps but that on my explains phone. that well that explains why you no, literally no download Uber when you need it yeah yeah I have no social media on my phone people are like how do you do that I'm like how do you promote a podcast with no social media not on my phone. <laughs> I don't computer. know. Yeah, I mean, I'll go on my computer. Like, yeah, I don't know. I just, I just found that like five, six years ago, I was. You go, you look at screen time, and you see how much time you're on these. Like, I don't know what, are they, what are they, uh, when you're just like scroll fast, and you're just like, oh, this is terrible. Like, this is I can't be doing this. So, you know, uh, it's interesting not... you say that. I downloaded TikTok two years ago. I think rabbit hole. That's what it is. Four hours of my <laughs> life, I'll never get back. Yeah. See. And I uninstalled it immediately. See? Yeah, I, I, I never downloaded it. Yeah. yeah, don't. My wife says that she goes on once every two weeks, and she's on for like four hours, just like you said, Justin. And it's just like, she's just constant scrolling. And I'm just like, I, I don't know. You know, it's not like I don't like the internet. I love the internet. I just don't want to be going down that rabbit hole. My wife, I think she scrolls three hours a day. 
Sorry, I hate to put you on blast. To be fair, she is on maternity <laughs> leave right now. Right. Well, you know, wifey earmuffs. You didn't hear that. Justin didn't say that. Yeah. That was it's just that, yeah, was AI, the, the, that was AI Justin talking. I didn't hear it. Um, right. It's just yeah, the doom scrolling is what gets people. I mean, it's just uh, yeah. Was, going back that far, have you been? Is that where you started your technical journey, Justin? That you just. You stayed on that technical track? Uh, you know, it probably started before then. I was building computers for families in the neighborhood before then, I think. I built my first computer at 11 or 12. Um, cool. Sold my first computer at 12. I still remember the, the guy I sold it to. Um, started a little LLC as well, just building and sell, selling computers. What was uh, the name? Uh, Vibe PC. V-I-B-E. So Verda.net and Vibe PC. Where do we get these names from anyway? At the time, I, I mean, I was 13, so... It just sounded cool. So um, I thought it was going to be like Justin, uh, Justin will build your computer business. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. And then I, I really just got into web development, um, started building websites back in the days of nested tables and, uh, and got to love it. I actually did some really impressive. I was just talking this morning about the things that we could actually do with nested tables uh, before HTML5 and and everything that that, that front end te web tech has has evolved into um, today, like we have so many capabilities that we didn't have then. But knowing what our potential, you know, was then, um, and really fully, I was really good about fully utilizing that. Uh, so became pretty good at building front end websites, and I got really good with action scripting and Macromedia Flash, and uh, which is very similar to JavaScript and. Um, before, of course, Flash got acquired by Adobe, I believe. Um, and so uh, started embedding a lot of Flash elements in the websites too. So they were highly interactive. Um, and I could do things that you couldn't do with nested tables. You know, tables are still very square. So you're limited. Um, how do you make that look good? And with Flash, I could embed a square element, but it could have a slant to it or it could have hover. It could do, we could do a lot of things then with Flash that you can do now, of course, without it, um, uh, just with uh, style sheets and JavaScript. So, um, but the one downside is you had to have the Flash applet installed on your machine. I'm sure you remember the days when you'd see like, you have to install this plugin to view the website. But uh, anyhow, so I played competitive paintball, started as a hobby, very young, um, uh, just a, you know, just a way to have fun on the weekends and uh, turned into a very competitive sport for me. Uh, started competing in the MPPL and, and PSP leagues. Um, built a team uh, website and I built a website for the, the indoor field here in Ohio. It gets really cold in the winters. So in order to play, you have to play indoor. Uh, so I played at an indoor field here in Columbus and um, I built their website and their pro shop was... Uh, funded or supplied by a company named Action Fanatics out of um, Pittsburgh. And that, the CEO of that company was Jeff Lizick. Uh, he and I are still very good friends to this day. In fact, I believe he's coming to the Hawking Hills uh, here in Ohio with one of his business partners uh, this weekend. Yeah, he just texted me. I need to get back to him. Um, but he is just a brilliant CEO. I mean, this guy, he's, he's like, he's not real well known, but like, if you look at his businesses and what he's been able to accomplish over the years, he's a genius. The guy really knows his stuff. Um, so he owned that company at the time. They had a few locations and they were supplying many pro shops. I think they were the third largest distributor in the sport of paintball. Um, so I, he called me, I was working at office max, I think in the middle of the night and restocking shelves. I get a call really early in the morning and he said, what are you doing right now? You don't know me, but I forget who gave my number, John Howard or somebody gave my number from the, from action, uh, from the action sports indoor paintball. And he wanted to know, you know, I built their website. They want to do a rebrand and build their whole new front end for their e-com business. Um, asked me if I was up for the task and asked me how soon I could come to Pittsburgh. I think I went to Pittsburgh the next morning. So I uh, quit my job, went to Pittsburgh and started working with Jeff. Uh, it wasn't long after that, that, uh, he had an acquisition offer from Key Action Sports, the biggest, most definitive name in the sport. They buy up all the brands. I mean, it's just huge. That company's owned by a guy named uh, Gino Postarivo. They're in Sewell, New Jersey. 
And interesting enough, out of Jeff's entire team, you know, he had dozens of a lot of I don't know how many employees, a lot. Um, he wanted he wanted to know who built the website. <laughs> so it seemed to be a trend. You know, everyone wanted to know who built that website. And he said, I want you and, and Justin to come to our office. Uh, I think it was next week. We got in the car, drove across the state of Pennsylvania and uh, went to a, a meeting. First, we met with our lawyer and then Gino came and uh, they talked to us collectively and then talked to us separately. And they made us both offers. Man, I, I was 17 or 18 years old at the time. And I think they offered me 35K a year, told me I'd have a team of 10 working under me. And I turned it down and decided to go to college. Um. So interesting. I went to college for entertainment business and law, music business and entertainment business and law. Um, my first job uh, outside of college was at a real estate company. <laughs> Go figure. Uh, so, and I was building websites. So something I was self-taught on, I ended up working on doing something. And that's why like, you listen to guys like Elon Musk talking about how college is just kind of a joke. It can be, you know, I, I think definitely can be a big waste, a big distraction. Uh, if you're really good at something before you're there, maybe you should just spend your money on doing what you're really good at. Uh, yeah, kind of went off on a tangent there. No, yeah, that sounds like, yeah, Zach, Zach, we've heard you say that a time or two. Yeah. <laughs> look, and I have a college degree. I, and I, I, look, I think there are certain things that are really good about college, right? Like the getting away, learning about yourself, Hopefully you finally learn how to do your own laundry, you know, not using an app to do it yourself, you know, what, whatever that might be like, but I, it's not for everyone. And at least for me, like I look at that and I go, like, I took, I spent a lot of money on things that like were outdated and I'm just like, this doesn't make sense. Like this is supposed to be the route that you're supposed to take that we're kind of like pushed to do. And it's like, then you actually get into the actual career that that job put you in. They're like, why do they teach that way? We haven't been. Those who can do those years. who can't teach. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's yeah. unless they teach at Harvard. <laughs> yeah. Look, I, 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 I don't disagree with that. I just think it's like, education i think is important if you're learning the things that are going to be implemented that you can then implement immediately and if you're not that just seems so like ass backwards like it's just yeah. it's kind of silly like it's just like and again like look i have a college degree you know and i'm not like i'm not saying that people shouldn't go to college but i just wish the colleges would teach the things that are actually going to be done in the workforce and aren't so outdated i think the biggest thing i got out of college was uh, becoming a more social being. Like I was able to break out of my shell. Sure. Like I, said, I was very introverted. So, you know, going to parties yeah. and meeting people and learning how to socialize and be an adult. And uh, yeah, that's what I mean. That's, but you got to get away. You can't be living at your house right. and doing that, you know? And, and I think that's important. And that's why um, I moved to Orlando. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. How was Orlando? You know, I loved it there. It was, it's, it's kind of funny because everyone that I was, everyone that I started uh, in my class, I think nobody else stayed in Orlando. Everybody else moved away and mm -hmm. they're all doing, most of them are doing, those who actually graduated are doing really well. Um, my friend, probably my best friend in college, uh, Susie, we called her, her name's Swin Hua Tai. Um, she got a job in a, she moved to California, got a job in a tech company, uh, Text Plus, and then uh, now she's working for Braze, which is a really big attribution and marketing automation company. One of the most definitive names in marketing uh, automation or whatever you want to call that, uh, customer journey orchestration, whatever you want to call it. Um, so she's done really well for herself. Another friend uh, works in Nashville at a big studio, and he's doing really well, too, working on constant hit records. Um, so, uh, But nobody stayed in Orlando. For whatever reason, I got stuck. I just, I think it's maybe because I'd never been anywhere else, you know, mm -hmm. like I, I move a thousand miles away and, and, uh, it kind of got rooted there and it just, uh, I don't know. I was, it, the, there was a, there's a draw in Orlando. It's really hard to get away from. It's changed a lot since I was there. Uh, it's definitely growing at a very past fast pace. 
mm-hmm. past faced. <laughs> um, a lot of uh, I think there was a hurricane that went through Puerto Rico, and half the half the state of Puerto Rico is in Orlando now. So um, the oh, population's wow. a little kind of crazy, but I like it. I like food, and we have endless cuisine. I mean, anything you can imagine. I like entertainment. Uh, we have all the theme parks and amusement parks, and um, I love live music. And we have five, six venues, plus all the local stuff, the C, B and C venues. Um, so it had everything I wanted. It was very hard for me to leave. So if someone was trying to get involved with Contractor Plus, like who who's the target? Who are you looking for? What's your pitch to them? What 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 are they getting? What's the what's the elevator pitch? So contract, if you are a artisan or a small to medium sized home service contractor, you uh, are probably not going to want to spend a fortune on your software. Contractor Plus has a free for life plan. Uh, Currently, it's called the basic plan. We're rebranding that to the freedom plan um, where we're not going to limit you on the number of documents and stuff like that that you can create. Uh, we truly believe in facilitating your scale as a, as a, you know, a small business uh, because we are a small business and we understand, we know what it's like. Um, that said, we grow as you grow. So when you need additional um, features like scheduling and job management and soon our uh, subcontractor network and um, everything else that contractor plus has to offer, we do have some paid plans. Um, and, uh, the pro plan starts at $29 per user per month. And the ultimate plan starts at uh, $49 per user per month. Uh, we have crazy annual discounts as well. Actually, 65, almost 70% of our users prepay annually. Um, so uh, you can expect Contractor Plus to give you everything you need to truly get organized and, and systemized in one central place. Um, you can also, the value prop is pretty huge. You're probably currently paying for, um, assuming you're using some software to run your business, you're paying for a contract solution like DocuSign, you're paying for um, a CRM like HubSpot, you're paying for uh, project management like ClickUp or Monday or, some, you know, whatever. Maybe you're using BuilderTrend, 600 bucks a month. You're paying for 10 plus different pieces of software if you really care about streamlining everything. And with Contractor Plus, you can do all that in one place at a fraction of the cost. Interesting. So you you said Tim Tim beforehand said you were really good with your numbers. So let's let's see. Let's put you to that test. You just said sixty or seventy percent of your customers pay the yearly uh, the mm-hmm. annual fee. Yeah. I'm interested if you have more churn on that yearly or more churn on the monthly contracts that come through. More churn on the monthly. Um, the lower the ticket, the higher the churn. So yeah. we've noticed that the pro plan uh, has a, it's last month was around 12% uh, net churn. And the ultimate is just north of five. So still though, that's very high. We have, we have an average churn uh, net churn of 8% right now. The best we've had it was down to, four a little less than four percent for three months consecutive and i thought we had it mastered i was like man this is great and then uh started raising again and i'm like what are we doing wrong um, hmm. and so what do, how do you unpack that and figure out what is what is wrong yeah that's so that's like i think that's actually a really powerful thing any SaaS company like you really have to be focused on that the way i look at churn is you're in a boat and your entire team is in a boat you're on a boat together and you're rowing that boat to get to your destination, uh, whatever that destination is. Now, there's a hole or there's multiple holes in that boat and water is constantly filling that boat. And if you don't continue to throw that water overboard, you will sink and you will die. So our team of 20 or so right now, we are spending half of our time rowing and half of our time in the boat with buckets trying to throw water overboard so we don't sink. And that is my analogy to kind of explain, articulate uh, what churn is and, 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 you know, how you keep a business alive and fighting that churn. Now, the real goal, though, is to dig the problem up by the root. You know, you got to mm-hmm. dig the weed up by the root to get rid of it for good. So you have to identify where those holes are. Instead of just standing there with a bucket, throwing it overboard, you need to start investing time into patching those holes so that the boat doesn't take on any more water. So those would be the leading drivers of churn. 
Um, the way we identify the leading drivers of churn is mostly through a customer feedback loop. So we implemented a tool called Userback. Uh, there's others on the market we evaluated like Canny and others where basically our users can report bugs. They can report uh, feature suggestions. They can report just general feedback. And then it all goes on an idea board where other users can comment and upvote. Um, if you're watching this right now and you're a Contractor Plus user, a lot of people have started using this, but we want more people to use this. The more people that use this, the better that data becomes for us and the more actionable it becomes. Um, so what we do is we prioritize using uh, RICE prioritization, um, which allows us to uh, ensures that we are focusing our limited efforts to place to 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 prioritize certain developments on what's going to have the greatest impact on the user experience. So we are really just trying to identify what's causing people to leave. Where is their friction? Why would someone stop using this? And we do that a number of ways. One is through the idea board and just that feedback loop. One is an exit interview when they quit, when they leave. So they fill out a form why they're canceling. We take that data to heart. Uh, and then we also reach out and try to get additional feedback. That all really helps us identify why people aren't happy and what we can do to better meet their needs. That exit interview and that form, like I 100% agree trying to get as much data out of that. I feel like most people... It's like you don't want to answer your door because you don't want to, when someone's knocking on the door, you don't want to answer it. One, because you're annoyed. And two, you don't want to probably tell that person no because you just feel bad. Like, how are you getting that negative information out of people when people inherently, like, are nice well, people? Even, and don't... even backing up before that, I'm sure, I'm curious, like, what, what your KPIs are. You probably can predict who's going to be the next person to churn based on if, you, if you're monitoring the right KPIs. In terms of you got you know, if someone's daily active if they if they were a daily active user mm -hmm. and now they're only logging in once a month sure. or whatever I'm sure you know there, there's yeah. there's a disconnect somewhere. Yeah, so we're using uh, we have a few different attribution platforms, but I would say the most insightful is Amplitude. Um, Amplitude really helps, especially from the mobile side. We haven't integrated it on web yet. We need to, but what it does is it allows us to see which features are being utilized by which categories, and we can break it down through any kind of attribution point. So it could be like their service category. It could be the length that they've been a user. It could, you know, we can, we can set up custom reports for any of that. So then that really helps us by looking at that data. We can, we can identify who's using what uh, we know, like, for example, which category, which features are most used by handyman companies, which features are most used by HVAC companies, which features are most used by plumbing companies. And then we can even uh, cross, we can go over to UX cam and look at the heat maps and we can see, you know, break that down by category as well and like see like, okay, HVAC companies typically get lost here. And you can make these hypotheses based on the data to understand uh, what, what is that customer journey? What does it really look like? Where is their friction? And what can I do to improve their user experience? Um, but it's no minor undertaking. This is like when you get the data, then you have to act on it. And with limited resources, it's like you have to decide what am I going to focus on first? Yeah, it's a lot to process. I mean, it's it's because the numbers don't lie, but you got to get the right numbers. So it's just. Did yeah, I hear that Google? Did I hear that Google podcasts are um, discontinuing? I haven't heard. I don't know. Well, let's say that's the case, and I didn't read that wrong. But let's say, like like even a company like that that gets you would think that they're doing pretty well to then to get that data to then make that decision, like. It is, by the way. So. It is. It's okay. happening in 2024. They're just rebranding and putting an emphasis channel channeling all that traffic to YouTube Music. But the uh, you know, new. I mean, one thing uh, with that that a lot of companies founders they don't focus on with the data that you're collecting based on how people are using your platform. You also could discover what features you can eliminate from your platform. Because if you've got developers that are spending all this time on features that no one's using, you know, you can discontinue that and focus that energy somewhere else. 100,000%. And th th there's actually a perfect example of that happening in our organization right now. For the last two months, we had two sprints back to back. Couldn't get it on one sprint. Uh, we, when we first launched, we had three different types of estimates. So when you go to create new estimate, you notice there's um, a standard estimate, an area and task itemized estimate, and a quick bid. 
quick bids like a digital contract are bad. A standard estimate where it's just like in QuickBooks and, a, and an area and task itemized is kind of our flagship estimator, but they all had their own limitations. They all had their strengths and weaknesses, but none of them were like everything, you know? And so we realized people are getting lost. We looked at the heat maps and we looked at the data and, and, and we noticed people are actually getting lost and we're losing a lot of people halfway through an estimate. They never send the estimate. They never get completed. And when they don't send that estimate, we lose them. They churn out. We lose them for good. So we said, we have to do something about this. Um, it's, it was no small number. It was a very large number. Um, so let's figure out how to eliminate the friction here. Now it's scary because anytime you take away things, we have, you know, our, everything's divided. We gave people three paths and we had people walking down all three of those paths. So now it's like, you have to figure out, you have to stake some signs in the, in the path to put them back, nudge them back on the right path or what I would call the goal or conversion path. Um, so we've consolidated those three paths into one. And uh, we've eliminated the, the, the choice of having three different options there. Now, when you create a new estimate, you just create a new estimate. An estimate is an estimate. But we've taken the best features of all three of those and merged them into one totally customizable, drag and drop, super fluid experience that really, once people get used to, they're just going to love it. And then we baked in a lot of, you know, we listened to other people like the Home Depot data, the data that Home Depot shares with us. Um, through their API. First of all, their API is on an FTP server. We can hardly connect to it. So it's hard for us to update the, the data. It's not local data. It's national average. It's not reliable. They lack a lot of building materials. So we kept going back and forth with the Home Depot team. Like we need better data. And um, it was like pulling teeth to get it. But uh, we finally got the data from a, from a bunch of sources. And now when you go to look at the material cost in your area, it's all down to the zip code. Mind you, so like the price that I for a two by four uh, uh, in my area may be fifty cents or a dollar different than it is in Virginia Beach. Um, so, uh, and that's important because you know if I if if we're all basing things on the same cost, then people from someone a contractor in California might be completely losing his ass uh, right. because he just didn't have the right cost data. So now we fix that problem. So we just looked at the estimate. We said, what can we do just to streamline this? Put it in one experience. Now the pushback we've noticed like in the last two days, we've had 500 chats come through intercom. N no exaggeration. It's unbelievable. It's actually unsustainable. It's, it's so hard for us to even keep up with the, with the, um, the volume of calls and chats that we're getting right now, because what we've learned is because we had people walking down all three of those pathways. Now, uh, how mm. do you get them on the right path? Because they're so used to doing things the same way. Now we changed it on them. So, I think the lesson we learned there is when you roll out a new feature, even if it is going to be solving that problem and eliminating that friction, you probably leave the old features there and put the new feature in beta for a while just to give people a time to naturally um, go to it and then depreciate it slowly. Lesson learned, but. Yeah, change is hard in that regard. It, I mean, gosh, you know, yeah, man, it's wild. I think that one of the, uh, it's an interesting thing. I was listening to, uh, uh, Franz, who's the chief uh, uh, designer for Tesla, and it was and it was when they took the sunroof out of the Model S back in the day, and he was like, it was a super easy decision because only twelve percent of the people you were using the sunroof, so it was like it's gone, and just to eliminate eliminate that altogether, just save them a ton of time, money, and, and repairs if if need be or whatever the case. Speaking of Tesla, they have a truck. Not the truck, the uh, like the eighteen wheeler truck thing. What do they call that? Semi. Uh, auto. They they bought auto, right? Well, yeah, they they are like a the semi. Yeah, the semi. Oh, semi, semi. semi. Yeah. Okay. Is the um driver in the middle of that? Yeah. See, like that's gotta be really weird. Just like, cause your whole life you're you're driving on one side. I don't know if you've ever driven another country, either of you guys, but that's like the weirdest thing ever. It's yeah. extremely difficult to then move that thing to the middle. Like have, have I've driven a TikTok in India. <laughs> that was extremely difficult. <laughs> that sounds wild. Like what, Dude, are, what driving, was driving in India period. Is oh my like goodness. Bananas. Did has, why did they make that decision to put it in the middle? Have they said anything well, about it's it? Well, it's just, so, I mean, it just eliminates, it's, it's better visibility in the sense that you can see, you're not looking over a hood anymore and you're able to see, it eliminates blind spots. 
It's also self-driving, but the the person sitting in the middle just has to like observe, right? Or are they still driving it? Uh, yeah, I mean they're still driving right now. I mean, there's I think all, the that autonomous aspect is a little bit further behind heard, them. And I saw that actually Uber, so Tesla, I guess wanted to acquire Auto O T T O, named after Nicholas Auto, I believe, um, but um, Uber actually acquired Auto for six hundred eighty million. Hmm. Yeah, it's um, autonomous is a wild, wild business segment right now. It a lot is. of people started and only a couple of people are able to finish. It'll be interesting to see uh, how it, how it plays out. I, uh, I, you know, I have some friends in the automotive industry and they say there's a big push. I mean, I think we all know that now, but there's a huge push to go EV and like the grid can't really handle it today, but they're making improvements to get us to a point where it can over the next 20 years. Um, well, the, uh, the interesting thing is I, I just learned today that, uh, or this week that, that Australia now is producing 128% of their power needs just through solar. And they've wow, got so much, yeah, huge. they got so much excess p- power that they're generating through solar that they're, uh, Plus, investing in if bat- everyone in battery Australia storage. was driving an EV, what would the surplus be? There wouldn't be. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it's just, it's not, you know, it's not, it's not as crazy as one would think. I mean, it's, uh, but I mean, it just good on Australia for being able to do that. I mean, it's just, uh, that's big, no doubt. And the photovoltaic cells are getting so much better. Like what they are today and what they were 15 years ago is like a thousand percent better. And what they're going to be in the next 15 years is going to be a huge uh, leap forward as well. I think the the solar tech in general, like the lifespan is getting longer. The amount of energy they can produce is better. The cost per kilowatt is getting cheaper. Uh, all around, the tech is just progressing in the right direction. Well, yeah, just think about what we were talking about earlier. 16 years ago, you had to use a map to get somewhere. You know, where, <laughs> where is that going to be now? And, you know, I, I, have thumb decks. <laughs> you know, are we going to be full EVs in 16 years? I would say no. I think there's a lot of vehicles to get off the road. And I think that's... Yeah, it's going to take 20, 30 years. Yeah. yeah. I mean, look, even school buses, I mean, there's a lot of fleets to get off the road and, and then you got to have a lot of people bitching back and forth. Like I want gas, I want, eat. you know, it'll get political, but like it will probably it's a, happen. It's a total political thing. People make it political. <laughs> I mean, it's ridiculous. I mean, it's just a car, but like, I don't know. I always liked those little hot wheels when I was a kid, you know, I can drive in that thing. Now that can be my real car. Like that sounds like fun. <laughs> I don't know that Tesla Plaid, man. It is. Have you ever been in one? Not a Plaid. I have. Uh... So nice. Uh, yeah. You've they never were... been in a Plaid, Tim? I thought that was the first. No, I mean they've tried. only they've only been out a year. I've I've done ludicrous, uh, oh, mode, but I've not done Plaid. Yeah. So is that even are... crazier? Well, I mean, it's a matter of going like two point four <laughs> to like one point nine. It's a half a second faster, but still, it's it just makes like... a difference. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, it's just uh i i really i really like it it's tempting and i i you know i think from like a contractor's perspective going ev is difficult and it's definitely not attractive like who wants to drive a rivian as a contract do you want in the winter do you want to wait 15 minutes before you can get in your car and go it's not practical yet but i think it, it'll get there for sure what for the folks that are listening to the show they're wondering like man, how did how did we hook up with with Justin, so you're part of Seven Five Seven Accelerate. How did how did that happen? And uh, what's your what's your experience been? So how that happened? Um, we applied to a few different accelerators. I'd say when we first started early on, um, one uh, of course we applied to Y Combinator. Didn't hear anything there. Um, applied to uh, TechStars and actually got through a couple rounds of interviews. Um, and it seemed okay, but their ask was kind of a turnoff. And then uh, our lead investor and our friends and family, he um, he's connected with the syndicate, Jason Calacanis and their group out there. And he uh, referred I'm us. The, yeah, I'm part of the syndicate as well. Nice. So he, he referred us to the syndicate. And they said we were just a little bit, at the time, I think our monthly recurring revenue is like 8K. So they're like, you're just a little bit too early, but we really like what you're doing. Um, why don't you talk to the guy, talk to launch first. And the launch is kind of their accelerator that gets people ready yep. for this. syndicate, kind of like seven, five, seven, accelerate seven, five, seven angels, yep. except the deal size and the syndicates 
probably a little larger, but, um, so we talked to launch and, um, I really liked their team and I really liked what they had to offer. But when we got to the point of talking equity, it's a hundred K for 7% or 6%, I think it was 7%. Yeah. And at the time I'm just like, well, we've already raised the friends and family on a 3.6. So why would we do that? We we've already demonstrated we can raise money on better terms. Now, hindsight's 2020. I think like looking back, maybe we should have done it. The connections, the network and all that, that's invaluable, especially for, you know, for someone who's, I can't say first time founder, we've, we've sold a company, but not like a huge acquisition, but someone who needs those resources like I did, especially at the time. Um, so, but we ended up walking away from that. Um, and what appealed to me about 757 is they're not taking any equity. They're giving you a huge network with equally invaluable resources. Just we've met some really incredible people through 757 and um, both ex-founders, successful ex-founders, people who've had multiple exits under their belt, um, people who are very connected to the startup ecosystem and the overall business ecosystem in the Virginia area. We're not a Virginia startup, but um, they have been just as welcoming to us as they were to anyone else. Um, so I think what appealed the most is they give you a $20,000 grant, which covers your travel and your all of your expenses to participate in the program more than covers it. And they don't take any equity. Um, so we applied on F6S. I said, why not apply? You know, what? what's the worst that could happen? And we were one of the seven finalists to get accepted. And so we went through a round of interviews and I was like, well, we're probably not going to get accepted. You know, I'm used to rejection. Anybody who's like actively raising, any founder who actually raises, like just get used to rejection because it's part of the game. Like it's like 90% of it. You're going to get rejected a lot. Um, but they came back. They told us, I think the 15th or something of the month, two weeks away that we'd have an answer. And like three days later, I got a call or email. And, uh, I was really excited. It was an opportunity for me to get my co-founder from Mumbai here to the States for a couple of weeks. Um, and we leveraged the acceptance to like expedite his visa application. So mm -hmm. it worked. Um, so, you know, and so we got to spend some time together uh, without me having to go to India. And the program has been really good. They've over-delivered on everything they said they would. So it's great to um, hear. Yeah. What, sure. uh, where do you see Contractor Plus uh, in, in your short-term roadmap? Uh, I see, so depending on the analysis, and we've done quite a few different, um, qu quite a few uh, d different market analysis. Um, I think we're looking at a $130 million a year business in the next seven years. Maybe sooner. I mean, it, it, good business, great businesses aren't built overnight. and. That's right. You know, it's there's, I guess, two different methodologies. You can go the institutional funding route and like dilute like really crazy, really quickly and take on a bunch of capital and scale really quickly and maybe exit at a higher multiple. Um, but you can also go the slow and steady approach and listen to your customers and build a world class product. And that's going to not just appeal to them, but retain them and take the market. And that's kind of our goal. It's a long term play. So I, I see Contractor Plus. I see. A world, I think by 2028, I would like to be in every developed country at least. Um, and I see a world where every home service contractor, at least in the developed world, uh, has Contractor Plus installed on his or her phone because it won't make sense to do business without it. Very cool. Everybody head to contractorplus.app and uh, we'll have that in the show notes as well. Are you trying to get the dot com for that? We already have it. Oh, okay. Yeah, so the dot com, uh, interesting enough, we've been building silently building a directory. Um, now it's not so silent, right? But uh, contractor plus dot contractor plus club dot com is kind of our dev server for it. Uh -huh. uh, we are going to take that live on contractor plus club dot com. I'm sorry, contractor plus dot com. And uh, we're using that. Like, there's two things that contractors really care about more than anything else. One is having a steady lead flow so that they can grow their business. And two is having the right people so that they can facilitate that scale. Um, and Contractor Plus is working at both ends to, to make that possible. 
Sweet. Anything you want to talk about that we haven't talked about? I'm good from my side. Anybody that's watching have any questions? You've had several comments, at least throughout. Some people oh, think you're a great CEO. Oh, <laughs> really? Thank you. Um, is that my guy, Justin Smith? Uh, James Doe says, I like this guy. Several other comments, to too. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, Ooh. Mr. Smith from Ohio that's been to Orlando that took a plane ride to Virginia and is back in Ohio, we appreciate your time. Um, one thing I will add real fast, we are doing a community pitch event in Virginia beach. Um, it will be October 25th at I'll a museum. There. Yeah. Tim will be there. Are, are you? Right. Yeah. We're, so, yeah, we're promoting out, uh, on our side. That'd be a great opportunity to, to, uh, for the folks listening to, to meet you there. That'd be great. We'll so if you want to come out and meet us, come out and meet us. Um, we'll, we'll definitely be there October 25th and uh, I'd love to meet you. Congrats on having the second best background uh, of of the show. Obviously, mine's the first. Um, you know, hey, look, Tim's kid, kid made a sign for me. You got the rock half naked. You know, there's nothing better than that. So, but you have a fancy uh, sign. It looks good. So congrats on second place. <laughs> hey, I'll take second place. Justin, it's been, uh, it's been fun learning about you and uh, we'll chat soon. Thanks Likewise. for watching. Nice meeting you. Yeah. Thanks, Justin. Take care. Yep.